Premier Christian Newscast. Prohibiting people from worship and communal religious exercise is profoundly illiberal and illegitimate. Those are the words of the former EU Special Envoy for Freedom of Religion or Belief, Jan Figel. The Slovakian has launched a legal case against his own government at the European Court of Human Rights over its ban on churches meeting in person during the COVID pandemic, arguing these bans on worship were, quote, unfair and disproportionate. Of course, Slovakia was not the only country to try and curb the spread of the virus by shutting down public worship. At various points in 2020 and in 2021, it was illegal to gather in church here in Britain too, and in many other places. And while the closure of churches by force of law was controversial at the time, as the pandemic has receded, it's become even more contentious. Was it fair and proportionate to make believers worship online rather than in person? Does any government have the right in a free society to prevent people from practicing their faith? Or was the truly Christian path actually to step back from physical gatherings out of love for our neighbours and desire to protect vulnerable congregants from a deadly virus? I'm Tim Wyatt and this is the Premier Christian Newscast. This week I'm joined by Emma Fowl and Megan Cornwell from Premier Christianity magazine to reconsider the pandemic era closure of churches and discuss what, if any, precedents may have been set around religious liberty and balancing competing rights during those unprecedented times. Well, hello, and thanks for joining us, Emma and Megan, as always. Great to have you on the podcast. Um, Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about church closures during the pandemic. Um, Inspired by this case, I don't know if you've seen it in Slovakia, of all places, where um, a quite high profile guy called Jan Fiegel, I'm probably mispronouncing that, sorry, Jan, um, who is a former um, high commissioner for the European uh, Union on Religious Freedom, and he is taking... Uh, his own government, Slovakia, to, to to court, to the European Court of Human Rights to determine if their blanket ban on church closures during COVID was illegal. Um, do you guys been following this story at all? Have you have you kind of seen seen what's going on there? It's the first time I've seen it, actually. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea because I think we're kind of used to there being a lot of, you know, uh, anti-lockdown sentiment online and in kind of protests and a lot of people from the kind of political fringes and extremists got very agitated about it a lot of anti-vaxxers that kind of thing but this is actually a very kind of mainstream serious person you know who had a very big job in the eu about religious freedom basically making the case i've got a quote here he says um religious freedom as a basic human right deserves the highest level of protection Prohibiting people from worship and communal religious exercise is profoundly illiberal and illegitimate. Worship bans were unfair and disproportionate. Our arguments submitted to the court demonstrate clearly that blanket bans are violations of religious freedom under international human rights law. So the case is only just kind of started. We haven't had any outcome yet, but it is potentially could set massive precedents because obviously the European Court of Human Rights 
covers um i think basically every country in europe apart from maybe russia and belarus so it's much broader than even the eu um and it would have obviously huge implications for any kind of future pandemics and and the government response so it'll be interesting to kind of discuss the case but also have a look back at our own experience here in the uk and think about you know with the benefit of time and having kind of come out of the emergency phase of covid how do we feel about our government's decision to to close churches um so let's start with that then um if you kind of cast your minds back Megan and Emma to when when what was it 2020 when in in the spring of 2020 how did it feel when we first kind of found out that the government was telling us that it was illegal to go to church it's just such a strange thing isn't it because I think at the time no one could see it coming I mean I remember a couple of weeks before because it was it was actually mothering Sunday was the first Sunday of lockdown and we had a big youth service and planned at our church and I got an email from um, one of the parents one of the young people saying that their son would unfortunately be unable to attend and at the time I remember thinking that's a bit over the top like surely this is not you know and, and literally two, two weeks later everything had shut down and, and Mothering Sunday was our first completely online service and I, I just it was so unprecedented that I don't, I don't think anybody knew how to react in real time um, and it's interesting now that we're sort of three years down the line and you're now getting some like you said some very intelligent very um, prominent people reflecting on it and and hoping that I think you know his his point of view is if we get this through the courts then we will be setting a long-term precedent to ensure that this can never happen again no matter what the emergency and that's a very big statement and, and to be quite honest I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that um I yeah yeah it's it's just really complicated and it creates such strong opinions on all sides I just think it's going to rumble on for a really long time hmm. Do you have any um, recollections, Megan, from from when you first kind of heard that church was shut down? I have some. I have lots of recollections. At the time, I think I was in isolation in in the spare room in our house, um, battling a really awful bout of COVID before the vaccines. So I experienced firsthand how utterly horrific that virus is, and so um, cases like this just really irritate me because you know I think it's all well and good in hindsight, looking back and saying, oh, you know, the the response was dis- disproportionate. But, you know, we've got to remember that at the time we were dealing with a virus that that very few people, well, none of us knew anything about. And it was deadly. It was really, you know, I'm still I'm still coping with the after effects of having that COVID three years ago. So um, the idea that we would have opened our churches and let people go to church and spread the virus around it horrifies me. I guess that's the key debate here, isn't it? And that was happening at the time, but it's and happening, carry on, which is that idea that you have two kind of strains of Christian thought. There's the argument put forward by by Fiegel in this case, which is that religious worship is a kind of human right that no government should be able to take away. But then you have the other argument, I guess what you've expressed there, Megan, which is actually how can it be God's will for us to mingle when there is a deadly respiratory virus and we could be putting in danger some of the most vulnerable people in our congregations? And the most Christian thing to do is paradoxically not to gather. Yeah. And I think also what's really worth pointing out is that 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 religious freedom right in the European Convention on Human Rights is not an absolute right. It's a qualified right. If you read the document, it says specifically it's it's subject to limitations and those limitations are, are prescribed by law. 
um, necessary for a democratic society in the interests of public safety, one of which includes health. So, you know, I think that's really important to remember. I think also, you know, the, the, the other thing is that the right to life is listed as the first article in the Human Rights Convention. Um, you know, so there isn't a necessarily a hierarchy of which right is more important than others. But I think it's interesting that the right to life is listed as the first one. Um, and that religious freedom is a qualified right, not an absolute right. So I don't think this case is going to get very far, personally. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I think I think the point that some religious freedom um, advocates have been making was that um, in some cases they felt that churches were being treated disproportionately differently from other types of settings. So, for example, um, the the Canon Tom White, who took the, the Scottish government to court and won, was basically arguing, how can you shut churches when bicycle repair shops are allowed to be open? Um, and, and, and that is interesting. I, 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 com I completely agree with Megan, like, you know, that I, I, I don't have a problem with um, gatherings that put people's lives in risk um, are being restricted. But I do have a problem when churches are being restricted at when at, at the same time when other um, types of gatherings are not. I have a really good friend down here in Cornwall, um, Matt Timms, he runs a church in, in Newquay, and he was actually assisted by Christian Concern during the pandemic. He wanted to hold an open air um, uh, church service and his local council refused him permission to do so and Christian Concern managed to assist him to get it overturned and at the time it, it was the same as a drive-in cinema fundamentally and at the time drive-in cinemas were allowed to be running and they were running in our area and yet they wouldn't let him do the same thing for a church service and he successfully won that case and they they the government uh, the local council u-turned he had the church service it was great um so i think that's i think that's where i would say well actually there is a problem if church is not being treated fairly and the same as other similar types of gatherings and there's an interesting line of argument which says as you say that but by the kind of most nominations kind of acquiescing on the whole to to the government's order to shut they were effectively saying implicitly that this is just a kind of hobby this is a fun weekend activity but it's not up there on the lines with like food shops and bicycle repair shops and garages and so-called essential businesses and and I guess there's a some people make the argument that actually Christians needed to fight against church closures to make the case that this is not just a kind of voluntary hobby but this is an essential vital like life-affirming activity that we do when we gather as Christians for worship. What do you guys make of that case? Well, I think it's worth remembering that priests um, and religious people were listed as key workers. So that there were um, those those restrictions that were were covering so many people actually were you know that was that was weakened for for religious people. So you know they were key workers, they were they were afforded freedoms that others weren't. Um, so we already did have that in the legislation. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. I guess, is there a concern that it sets a precedent, though, if a kind of future religious freedom cases that priests and ministers and kind of church leaders are allowed to to go around and, and be key workers, but us ordinary lay Christians have to remain kind of cooped up at home? Does that set a kind of worrying division between the, the, the ministers and, and lay Christians? I mean, I don't think so, because we, 
we can worship anywhere as we did during the pandemic. You know, we had online services. Um, we've got Bibles at home. There's nothing stopping us from worshiping. We, ju- we were just stop. We were just prevented from meeting together um, for reasons of public health. Um, you know, and, and the only the only way I see that being problematic is if you go to a church which has a real emphasis on sacraments, you know, so where people are, exp- you know, if you're in the Catholic Church, for example, and part of your worship is a really important part of that is going and, and receiving Eucharist every Sunday. I can see how that would would be seen as sort of limiting your ability to worship and, and live out your faith. But the very fact that priests were able to go out and visit people and they were key workers, they they did have more freedoms, meant that they would have been able to go out and, and administer those sacraments to Christians out in their communities. So, no, I don't I don't I don't see it being a problem. It is it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I think it, because COVID affects us all so differently in, in so many different ways and, and that how you responded to it depended so much and depends so much on your individual settings. For example, I live with my family down here in Cornwall. We thoroughly enjoyed a lot of lockdown, to be quite frank. My parents live next door. We weren't, we were a bubble with those that, you know, we could go out for nice countryside walks. Some of my friends who live in inner city areas had a, a vastly different experience to me. I have one friend whose father has extreme mental health problems. She was livid the whole way through COVID about all of the lockdowns and all of the restrictions, because in her mind, her father's deterioration in terms of his mental health was as much a risk to his life as Megan would say COVID was to her life you know so it it is it it creates such visceral responses in in people because it it did affect us so fundamentally I you know I equally knew church leaders who were absolutely distraught at not being able being restricted from a lot of face-to-face contact with people who they knew had high levels of needs whether that was mental health problems or addiction problems or elderly who are just really really struggling with loneliness so that I just it, it, I just think it's such a minefield and I do understand people taking this sort of very sort of very very high level legal look at it and saying we do not want a government to be able to restrict our rights to gather together and worship and I equally understand people saying I don't see any problem with us sort of trying to do the best thing for our neighbour if that is staying away from one another when we could make each other very very poorly it's really difficult and I'd be really interested to see how this does play out across the EU and how it does tie into the um, the decisions that we've already seen in Scotland. I think there's a couple of others, isn't there? I think Chile, they 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 um, successfully took the government to court on one and said they couldn't restrict worship. Switzerland was another one that's already gone to court. So it'll be interesting to see how this does play out on an international stage. Premier Christian Newscast. Christian Newscast. This one in Scotland is an interesting case. If people didn't see it, it was back in 2021, a guy, Canon Tom White, who was a Catholic priest in the heart of Glasgow, he took the, the Scottish government to court, as you say, successfully um, won a kind of ruling from the, the highest court in Scotland saying that, you know, uh, this kind of blanket ban on on churches this is during the the first three months of 2021 so this is our second or third lockdown however you count it but um 
as, as, as one of you mentioned earlier, this was a time when actually the government, the Scottish government had created rules saying, you know, various quote unquote essential businesses were allowed to open, which included bicycle repair shops. Um, but churches were all ordered banned just just like they were in 2020. And he and he won. And his argument was very much it wasn't really around religious freedom per se, but it was about the need for for churches and to be there to serve people. So he said this as a priest. I have witnessed firsthand the grief and suffering that COVID-19 has caused for my parish members. And therefore, I know as a priest that we need to open my church to be able to support them best in their hour of need. And so his cases are slightly different. It's not the same as, you know, this is a breach of my human rights, but it's more saying, actually, during an emergency, public health or otherwise, during a crisis like COVID was, almost the most important thing is to have access for kind of spiritual care, pastoral care. Um, because actually that is what people need as much as they need health care and they need food parcels and they need their prescriptions. They also need access to kind of spiritual and pastoral care. And actually the, the government really should be leaning into their kind of church networks and, and denominations as a vital kind of part of the machinery of the, of the country in, in upholding and supporting people. What do you, what do you guys make of that argument? I think there are loads of ways to do that that don't involve meeting up in church. You know, we have so many different technologies um available to us I just don't see the need to have to do that in one building personally Emma do you have any sympathy for his argument yeah I I do have a lot of sympathy for his argument I um I think especially in those areas where you're serving those higher need congregations where people have less resource that they can fall back on themselves I, you know they might have chaotic families or no family addiction mental health all those things we talked about um i think you know where you've got a higher level of need for for support then i i really really get that um i interviewed for the mag a little while ago um pastor mick who um hit a, he received a lot of bbc coverage during the coronavirus pandemic he's an ex-drug addict who um released church on the streets in Burnley and uh yeah he was but again I guess you know almost in agreement with Megan's argument he found lots of very innovative ways to continue meeting with people um including gatherings outside and stuff when that was kind of, that when that was uh, permitted but he did also actually say quite publicly that he did do he did break the rules on occasion because you know he said there was one street in his um little patch where he had I think he said five, it might even have been 10 guys at one point who were mostly with addiction and mental health problems that were basically on suicide watch. And he was like, if I don't get to them, if I don't continue to see them, uh, then I'm I'm worried that they're not going to be there by the time we come out of this pandemic. And for those types of people, I, I, I get that we can do a lot with technology, but I also uh, absolutely know that for some people that is not going to work uh, that you're not going to get a drug addict to log on to zoom on a sunday morning that just isn't going to work for that kind of demographic of people so for him he's kind of like sure like i mean how do you weigh those things up how do you weigh up you may contract coronavirus it could kill you you might be ill for five days and be fine you might have long-term covid and it you know significantly impact you for the rest of your life with you've got a drug addiction or a mental health um, problem which also could in 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 very strong likelihood take your life they're just impossible choices aren't they and I, I don't know how how we make those types of decisions and I think you know a lot of the fallout that we're seeing now 
just shows that that there is no right or wrong answer we had people writing for us at the time on all sorts of different things like should they shut schools what's the mental health impact of you know not being able to social workers being able to visit families face to face and the impact on child sexual abuse and domestic violence they're just they're just impossible conundrums and I wonder whether as well as one of you mentioned earlier a lot of this comes down to how how kind of how the technology works for you you know I know lots of people as you say who who whose churches were very well resourced and and had really great live streams and Facebook prayer meetings and you know ways innovative ways to reach out to people with technology um but then other people who just literally couldn't access that didn't have internet connection at home or you know you know in, in the estate where I live we had people our church went on zoom for you know over a year because we didn't have our own building and so we were waiting for the community center trustees to kind of be brave enough to let us back into the building long after we were ready and we were on zoom for about almost 18 months and and we lost several key families who haven't come back because they couldn't access the the live stream and you know only had phones smartphones and couldn't afford to sit for an hour and use all that data because they didn't have any wi-fi at home um and i think that really affects whether whether digital worship was a kind of credible option for you. I know for a lot of churches, it was really life-giving and they've carried on doing it. And equally, some congregations has found actually, particularly if, as you say, if you're kind of theologically more sacramental and, and you know, the idea of, you know, you need to share bread and wine every week is really important in your tradition. I can sympathize with the idea that actually it's, it's a bigger thing to ask, you know, for a lot of us kind of low church charismatics, it's not that big a deal to shift onto, onto a live stream, but for some other Christians, it might be quite, quite a quite a big ask yeah I mean definitely for us you know I, I would I would say we're sort of a middle of the road sized resource church we did it fine um, we had some hilarious early doors zoom prayer meetings when that that we were trying to help the older people understand how oh, to I, use I think, I think you're muted yeah. and mute while Sanders was in the background and all those kind of comedy moments which were brilliant but then, you know, equally, my in-laws, very rural church at the other side of the country in, in the middle of nowhere in Norfolk, nothing like nothing. You know, they just their their parishes just shut. They didn't feel able to do anything. And, and it, that was really tough for them. Um, so, yeah, it was it was kind of like really difficult. Um, there was a lot of great innovation. Lots and lots of churches reporting increased numbers of people joining them online. Things like the Church of England's prayer services and like dial-in services and stuff that, you know, numbers went through the roof. Right. Brilliant. It's just it's not a casual one. I, I think what these I think what these legal cases are trying to prove it is disproportionality. And I do have sympathy for that. I do think we need to take the public health warnings of covid seriously and and i have a huge amount of sympathy for those who were really affected by it and i think as grown-up people we should not be gathering in a small confined space and spreading our germs um when we can avoid it but i do have sympathy for for the people who are taking a really high level look at this and saying no but where there's a disproportionate response that's not okay you can't crack down on religious freedoms or not value religious freedoms in the same way that you might value other leisure activities for example there are there are cases like going on where they're like cinemas weren't shut but churches were that that's clearly not okay where that case in london where a whole bunch of policemen stormed into a service on a easter sunday morning or you know you're kind of like that's not for me a proportionate response and it's not a response that values the importance of faith in people's lives um but i do 
I do I do agree with Megan that there's a line and that I have no problem with our um, ability to gather and to celebrate our religion also being topped by actually where there's a threat to life and other things that we need to take that into consideration. That's common sense to me. Now, I was just going to say, I'd love to know what the proportionality argument is with the Slovakia case, because I don't I can't see from just reading reading around the subject that that there was that involved there, um, that there was this argument that, you know, certain places were open and others weren't, but the church was closed. I can't see that there. And actually, if you look at the 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 patterns of the covid infection in Slovakia, what you see is that in 2021, the waves hit there much later than they did here. So although you could look at Europe and go, oh, well, in Western Europe, a lot of places were beginning to open and the churches were allowed to, we were allowed to start going to churches and we were, you know, that was, lockdown was beginning to end for us. Actually in Slovakia, they were getting their second, third waves of the virus a bit later. And so 2021, they were actually still in emergency state. You know, their, 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 their death rates were going through the roof. Their emergency services were completely overwhelmed. So in a proportional response to that would be to close everything in order to protect your citizens. So I'd be very interested to hear the arguments that, that get taken to court on that. And one of the things I think it's important to step back here is say, you know, there's a really important conversation which we've been having around, you know, this complex balancing interplay between public safety and religious freedoms. But also this doesn't happen in a vacuum. And, and this, this round of cases are are not happening outside of an ongoing international conversation around religious freedom, you know, and it's a growing kind of culture war issue that you guys are aware of. You've covered it a lot in the magazine. We've talked about it on the podcast before that there is, you know, well-funded, often coming out of the States, groups such as the ADF who are who have been behind both the, the Canon Toms case in Glasgow and this Slovakian case. Um, and I'm sure they, they are all, in all sincerity, mean what the arguments they're saying, but we have to acknowledge that this is also part of a bigger culture war around religious freedom and about accusations that you know christians are being kind of censored and, and stifled yeah across the western world does it frustrate you megan there's something you clearly feel strongly about because of your own experience does it frustrate you that covid church closures are getting sucked into the broader culture war around so-called religious liberty yeah it does because i just don't think you can pe- can compare them you know we've never been through something like the pandemic before it's not like churches are being closed and we're really having to fight this as Christians, you know, we're, we're being oppressed. It's, it's not that. It, it was very specific. It was um, unprecedented. You know, that's a word that we like to band around a lot during the pandemic, but it was. That's because, you know, it was. Like, we've never had a situation in the UK where our churches have been closed by law, where you cannot leave the house, um, where, you know, you've got to meet up with just six people. Like, it was so, such a strange time. And I just don't think you can use that and say that somehow there is this massive attack on religious religious um, freedom I, I just think it's nonsense yeah I don't think it often helps over the media like the, the, as as always happens I, I can remember I, at the time um, Douglas Murray wrote a piece for the spectator which was basically just saying 
all the churches have shut like you know covid's come along and all the priests have taken a sabbatical and he like you know as a, he's not even like a regular church goer and suddenly like everyone's bashing the church so it was almost like they couldn't win and and that's i think what what frustrates me is like oh again we're in the middle of this culture war where you've got like the people who don't even go to church every sunday being like the church has just rolled over and you know they shouldn't be doing what the government tells them to do and then on the other side you've got these you know, I, I know from my personal experience, our, like our church worked harder than ever. Like we might not have been open on a Sunday morning, but our vicar was just like going crazy trying to sort of chair public committees and organising the food bank response and supporting people this way. And like, you know, most most vicars were absolutely on their knees by the end of COVID working so hard. And then you, uh, at the same time, you've some, somehow there's this weird perception that the church is just rolling over and doing what the state is telling it to do rather than actually fighting its corner it's just trying to help and do the right thing as Megan points out in a time when no one has ever been through this before or thought had to have thought about this and then suddenly we've had to think about it overnight and and get it all right first time and the conspiracy theory at the time if you recall was you know this is the thin end of the wedge this is the government grabbing liberties they'll never give them back you know if we if we roll over now we're, we're, this is you know this is the starting of kind of a tyranny and <laughs> as was clear at the time and as is now clear in hindsight it was not true the government was very very happy to let us go back to church and things have very much gone back to normal as they were before so i think it's important to court to point out as you say that a lot of the people making some of the arguments and doing the running for you know church closures are a terrible infringement of our rights are a not church goers themselves but they're also this is they're kind of dragging it into a bigger kind of libertarian anti-government extremist kind of position that they were already running before the pandemic the pandemic was just kind of giving them more more fuel to the fire i suppose and that that i think is the final question we should really ask is you know should we be concerned maybe about groups like adf well-funded lawyers coming over from the crossing the atlantic and kind of bringing their american style culture war around religious liberty to, to europe is that something that we should be cautious of as a as a church here or should we say actually we might not agree with them on everything but this is a really significant question that needs to be litigated out in court and if they're happy to do it more power to them I think ADF do a lot of good work and you know if you have a look at some of the cases that they're covering at the moment the buffer zones abortion buffer zones um the work they're doing around um, equality and diversity religious freedom in the workplace I think they're doing some really good stuff but personally I don't think this case fits in that category um and I do think we you know all those things that you said Tim I completely agree with um and we do need to be aware and conscious and careful about um allowing some of that paranoia um to yeah to to impact our actions as Christians um, and I do wonder, I, my concern with this case is what, what is, what is this saying to the world? You know, what's, what's the evangelistic, what, what does it portray? What does it say about Christians? You know, if we're, if we're saying that we should be a special case, we should have had more freedoms than other people. We should have had our churches open when everything else was closed. You know, we, we should be allowed to meet when um, people were getting sick and dying. I just think like, what, what does that say about us as Christians? That really bothers me. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting argument that we've 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 spoken and written about it in the Mad Quiet a few times over the last year. Sort of the 
how this particular issue is just one thing. COVID was such a divider um, in the States, particularly within churches, you know, people who were anti and, and pro-vaccine. Um, here we saw the, the the passports argument. Are we ever going to get to a point where we have to have passports to go to church? And people are very um, vociferous about that. I, I'm not keen on any point where you get in broiled in those sort of deeply political arguments from within church and I agree with Megan you know what does that say about us as Christians and where's the gospel in the middle of that I I deeply believe that Christians should have you know it's not it's not saying like you can't be political you can't have a political opinion but when it starts to get intermeshed into the culture of your church when you start to have it being preached from the pulpit that's when it can get very divisive and, and we've seen we're watching that still in the states we've seen the rise of christian nationalism um, in italy and various places across europe and i just th- i think it's something to watch over coming years and i think it's something for christians to be really prayerful about that we retain um yeah a, a gospel of grace and of love and 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 don't allow that to get swamped in cultural and political issues that just end up dividing and tearing people apart because i, I don't see where where the love of god is in the middle of that hmm. yeah couldn't couldn't agree more i think um we'll probably draw our conversation to a close there but this case is clearly going to run and run so we'll keep an eye on what happens there in the european court of human rights because i think this is a conversation that is going to continue across the church particularly as you know we get into election season in the, in america and all of that kicks off again with 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 that next year so um thanks megan thanks emma for your thoughts on this important topic i'm grateful for the for your discussion and thanks everyone for listening um we'll be back next week with another episode but until then bye-bye That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback, or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at tswyatt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast.